Welcome to the Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets. Welcome. The topic of our talk today is industrial tokenization, what really matters. We have invited two guests who are experts in the field of blockchain applications and tokenizations, both from Riddle and Code, a blockchain interface company headquartered in Austria. It's Monday, 23rd of May. My name is Carl Michael, and I'm co-hosting this show, as always, together with Simon. Hi, Simon. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me again. Our two guests are John Kalian, who recently became the CEO of Riddle Code, and Sebastian Becker, a Riddle Code business development veteran, who is also board member of the International Association for Trusted Blockchain Applications. Hi, guys. Super happy to have you on our show here. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Pleasure is on our side. Let's get the ball rolling and rock the block. Uh, Sebastian, Riddle Code. Where does the name come from? Well, it's not too difficult. I think the coding part is, of course, part of every blockchain and IT project. And if we talk about cryptography, then also the term of riddle is not far away. So we use oftentimes challenge response mechanisms between a blockchain backend and edge devices, for example. And that's the initial thinking of our founder, um, Tom Firstner, when he had decided and chosen the name Riddle & Code. Okay, John, what's Riddle & Code's mission? The mission is to onboard global companies to the Web3, to bring industrial machines onto the Web3, essentially to bring decentralization and all of its benefits. And how did you personally enter the blockchain space or the crypto space? What was your moment of truth, John? It was the year 2017. I was asked to lead blockchain efforts at Deutsche Telekom, Europe's largest telco and provider of services, and essentially given a blank check to explore the topic. And my initial response was, that's amazing. And let's figure out how infrastructure can be making this new technology blockchain useful. So that's where I took a dive in. But I'll tell you, it's been over the last few years, really studying Bitcoin, where my, my deep-rooted opinions have really started to take shape and where they are uh, being applied today. Now, the same question really for you, Sebastian. What was your moment of truth? How did you get into blockchain, into crypto in general? Yeah, for me, the journey was a little bit different. I spent 10, 15 years working as an innovation and strategy consultant. So my first... Discussions around blockchain I had in 2011 and 12, funnily enough, with Ridley Code's later founder, uh, Tom Firstner. Back then, of course, I wasn't very familiar with the details. I'm also not a very technical person. So I, I listened to the things that you could uh, do with Bitcoin. And I said, at least to the startup plans that Tom was discussing back then, a crypto fund against the basket of commodities and digital assets, that it might be a bit too early. But still, of course, we, we stayed in touch. And, uh, you know, five, six years later, when especially also from the telco space, IoT security was becoming more of a product and was bundled into other services. To me, it was very clear that, you know, if you want reliable and trusted data from the IoT world, 
and make it digestible and computable in a secure environment, which is blockchain, then this is touching, let's say, the, the foundations of, of our industrial societies. And that's what I'm personally interested in, political systems, how to improve basically how we live and, and how we consume and how we transact. I think this uh, quite nicely leads into my next question, also for you, Sebastian. Like four or five years ago, 2017, throughout 2019, I think, there was so much talk in the industry about the tokenization of everything, right? There was uh, the tokenization of the entire securities market, of commodities, tokenizing art, which we are in part seeing now with NFTs. But in other parts, it kind of got a bit quiet again. Like not everything has been tokenized um, so far of course it's, it's not been that long but uh, then again it's been a couple of years and maybe for industry outsiders it might seem like things have slowed down but you guys at Drill and Code really have done real world applications and you you keep doing new things like for example with Wien Energy the um, one of the largest energy providers in Austria so you actually tokenized the community solar plant there can you maybe tell us a bit more about this project and like what really happened in practice when we see tokenization of such a such a real world asset come to life Sure, yes. Uh, I think, you know, let's start with decentralization, one of the key and fundamental aspects of blockchain. So, if we take it from there and look at the nature of the different industries, then it's clear financial industry per se is decentralized because we are all uh, movers of money in the end, and even though there have been let's say, a limited number of, of financial actors before. There's also an explosion now with, with fintechs and, and new types of financial actors. The energy market, after uh, starting to liberalize like um, 10, 15 years ago, is also becoming, no, even further ago, <laughs> has also become quite decentralized. In the meantime, we shifted from a limited number of power plants and utility providers to hundreds of thousands or millions of asset owners, assets that produce energy. So the sheer topology of the market is becoming more and more decentralized. And we need to apply what we all know as roaming from the mobile telephony industry. This uh, is, of course, a perfect use case for blockchain because of, you know, tamper-proof data records, the registry or notarization function of blockchains, and the transparency that you can add uh, to data sets. So I think it's it's not a coincidence that one of the first commercial use cases of blockchain outside of the financial sector comes from the energy sector because of that. Other sectors that are also by nature decentralized, like the mobility sector, they still have to you know, come up with uh, coherent strategies uh, because even though we all drive cars or are part of uh, public transport systems, we still have a limited number of uh, providers in that industry. So that means on the B2B side, uh, it's not fully decentralized yet. So this might take... Um, sometime. The Wien Energy project um, that you're referring to, you know, it didn't come overnight. Uh, so we started to collaborate with Wien Energy in 2017. And, you know, we took it slowly. First a POC, then a, a state-funded uh, subsidy project to develop peer-to-peer -peer energy communities. And now we came up with this citizen solar power plant structure. And we allow existing Wien Energy customers, so end customers, to buy into the power plant, even if they don't own, you know, a real estate or a rooftop to place a solar system themselves, but to become a shareholder. Legally, it's it's not a full shareholding. It's more, a, let's say, a beneficiary system, a voucher system. So you are entitled to get basically 
revenues from from solar power uh, panels that you invest in. But it's a two-token structure here. So there's one asset token making you a beneficiary, and then there's a utility token. So all the, let's still call them investors, um, they are getting kilowatt hour tokens in their wallets, depending on the production of the PV asset they have invested in. So this allows us to A, turn consumers into prosumers, and B, use the incentivization function of of blockchains through tokens to drive the behavior of these energy uh, consumers, not only now at the beginning when they decide to invest, but also in the future when we need to, for example, couple the energy sector and the mobility sector once we have uh, millions of electric vehicles with their batteries on the street. So that's, you know, to cut a long story short, it fits the the business model and the strategic outlook of an energy company to decentralize, to turn consumers into prosumers and to drive production, but also energy consumption in certain directions. And that's why blockchains are a very useful tool in that industry. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the tokenomics, these kind of two-pillar architecture with the asset token and the utility token and how the incentivization mechanisms work? Yes, I can. Let's say the design of the asset token is still largely depending on the legal uh, system in, in the target market. So that's that's fair to say. We all know we have regulation now in a, in a good part of Europe for financial digital assets, but we don't have it for utility assets. So this is, let's say, limiting the number of choices that at least were available um, a bit over a year ago when we did this. On the utility token side of things, it's it's similar. Basically, we follow a voucher concept there comparable to airline bonus miles, if you want. So the people get these kilowatt hour tokens, they see it in their mobile wallet, which is the Wien Energy mobile app, and then they can redeem it. So they can lower their electricity invoice against Wien Energy directly, or in the future, there will be additional services from the public service operators in Vienna that you can redeem it with or against. So we are, for example, working on you know charging for electric vehicles that you could use your kilowatt hour tokens for that. So this means um, we are not only incentivizing people to to become interested in tokens, but we also want to carefully select both from a legal and from a strategic standpoint for what kind of service can you redeem the voucher. Part of the business model, and that's also interesting because this token is not freely available at exchanges right now, so there's no speculation to it. It's basically a one-to-one conversion of kilowatt hours. But still, we have a positive, let's say, business model or business case because um, in Europe, if you can notarize or prove that energy which is produced locally is also consumed locally, then the utility company has to pay lower network carriage fees. And these fees, we can basically use them as a delta and then turn them into a financial product, if you want a green financial product, because we guarantee the investors in the PV assets uh, a fixed uh, return. So interest rates, basically. So in every industry, I think there will be different ingredients for business models, and not all of them have to be, let's say, blockchain inherent. It could be efficiency, 
use cases or other types of, let's say, legal-based use cases and business models as we see in this case. John, I know you just recently joined Riddle and Code, and I don't know how familiar you are with this uh, project. But if so, I mean this Wien Energy project. What, from your perspective, are the most critical processes in such a, a project? What are the biggest hurdles you need to jump over? Look, I'm very familiar with this project. It's one of our lighthouses. This is a template for what we want to see repeated hundreds, if not thousands, of times. And, you know, Sebastian made it clear that the, the focus here is about decentralization. We are bringing infrastructure and tools to industries where they can decentralize. And here, I think it's an amazing example. So you have a, a large industry player that can bypass traditional financial systems, go directly to investors through a token, create liquidity for themselves and start building out sustainable green energy systems. It's a fascinating topic, uh, but more relevant, uh, this is what we're doing. So the bits and parts of it, well, it all starts with blockchain, where we do a variety of things, where we can store the identities of machines, we can launch tokens, we can keep track of data, we can match up the output of machines, in this case energy, with the value represented in a token. Hopefully I'm getting towards an answer for what you asked. No, no, that, that's cool. I mean, you are referring to data. What role does interoperability play here? And is GDPR uh, compliance a topic, even in this industrial context? Because it's a machine-to-machine -machine kind of setup in the end. Sure. Right? I mean, GDPR is just a fundamental uh, set of regulations we have to follow. Everybody has to follow. So that's during the phase of when you're designing a system. Are you going to be holding data that could be forgotten at some point? Uh, we don't focus on it, I would say, but it's certainly a, a part of things, right? Just a, a normal you know, thing you have to do as a business in the EU or you're holding data. So, but putting that aside, it, it's, you know, it's building the systems for these industries where we're putting all of our focus. You said this is a kind of light tower project for Riddle and Code. And you said yes. you want to multiply it, copy Absolutely. it a thousand times. Is it, is it so easy to copy the model? I mean, if you go to other industries, other countries, other regulatory environment, is it that easy to scale this the same solution up? The good thing is there are two dimensions for scaling it up one is by taking the platform and you know we have not just built a use case here but we we have an entire platform that allows for regulatory compliance that allows for all kinds of business model orchestration and that's what we are currently um, trying to place with other energy companies that want to do similar things The, the blocker here is typically not the technical feasibility but the target partners or customers, they have to come up with a coherent innovation strategy. And that's what many businesses are struggling with, especially if they are bigger. The second dimension is what are the main capabilities that we also do tokenize and notarize? Because notarization is often the first step before tokenization. We notarize and guarantee the provenance of green energy. And if we look at industrial regulation or, let's say, overall policy goals in Europe, decarbonization, et cetera, et cetera, 
then the capability to notarize the energy provenance and if it's green energy is basically at the beginning of every industrial value chain. So this is also or will drive PPA, power purchase agreements between energy companies and industrial players. And it will trickle down the life cycle of, for example, a car, because the CFO of BMW in, in the future or for other from other OEMs will have to report not only the carbon footprint of their entire vehicle fleet during production, but also over the life cycle. So that's why uh, I think the notarization capabilities that we bring to the table are basically relevant for every player. Now, Sebastian, you gave a speech about this at the Crypto Assets Conference in Frankfurt um, just very recently. What might be quite overlooked also in industrial context is still the practical aspects of custody of tokens. So if we have corporate treasury deals and we have lots of different kinds of tokens, there's always, of course, the cybersecurity risks, there's the technical risks. We need to look into um, yeah, new really angles and vectors when dealing with these tokens, for example. Can you maybe share a bit your thoughts and your practical experience on this with us? Yeah, sure. You know, the industry is still in an early stage and even in, in such a, let's say, small niche but very important building block as custody you have different let's say flavors and you know it's also fashionable to do custody this way or the other way in one year and then the year after but in the end ultimately it's about security Uh, and i'm coming from the pay tv industry and you all know that this industry was trying to protect their revenues through encryption as well and then over time you saw breaches of these systems but oftentimes did this did not result in immediate changes of the technology providers because you could tolerate a certain amount of fraud before you had to turn it around because of the business case was starting to to look grim in the financial sector it's of course very different you know custody providers have to deliver trust and if there's a breach this will become quite critical for them but not only for the vendors, but also for the industry as a whole. Uh, We've seen the damage that the Luna um, situation brought to the industry in in May uh, 2022. So these kind of reputational damages have to be prevented. This means if we talk about industrials, they either will need to collaborate with banks or fintechs in the future to secure the flow of tokens, or they need to build up these capabilities in-house. And I think especially larger IT and tech companies will most likely do it in-house. And they don't even have to have a very bullish outlook on tokens themselves because we will get programmable money. And from a technology perspective, the handling of keys in a, in a system is basically identical for future digital euros, dollars, yuans, or for tokens. So that's why we are quite confident that this will uh, become a very uh, hot topic And also, if we think of industrial players, then it's not only about digital assets. As I just mentioned in the example of the carbon consumption of a vehicle fleet, industrial actors and their treasuries will need to tap into machines and real-world oracles to to prove that their calculations are on solid ground. And that's where we think is, is a sweet spot for us, helping them to onboard to Web3, providing them with trust technology components such as car or machine wallets and have an underlying secure key management and signature orchestration scheme in place. All right. Thanks a lot for the insights uh, on that one. So 
maybe the next question going to John. If we're looking at uh, upcoming regulation, and I mean, Sebastian was already um, alluding to a digital euro and uh, central bank digital currencies a bit. What we have coming up in Europe is uh, the markets and crypto assets regulation and, of course, a lot of other um, regulatory initiatives coming up. So do you think this will open up the floodgates for industrial tokenization? Do you think this might hamper things? Um, will it create clarity? Will it create uh, the opposite of clarity and open up a lot of new questions? How do you think the current debate really around hosted, so like with a provider or uh, unhosted quote-unquote wallets might impact really crypto machine-to-machine -machine settlements, machine wallets? How's this, um, how do you look at this from an industrial application point of view? Yeah, thanks. Uh, let me tie in. I didn't get a chance to fully answer the last set of questions. Let me tie them in together. Before it was posed to me, are, are things going to be easy or can we do things easily? So first of all, no, nothing's easy. Uh, it takes a long time to build the trust with industrial partners, right? You know, Sebastian mentioned it was 2017 when we first started engaging with Veen Energy. It's now 2021. Uh, sorry, 2022, and we are actually going from this phase of proof of concepts into production. And that's no small point. We're going into production with large-scale systems this year, and that's just with one company and one industry. Tying it together with your latest question about regulations, specifically around on-premise or off-premise uh, wallets, meaning with a custodian or not, you know, it's going to be a little bit chicken and egg here. Is the industry going to push the regulation to follow suit or vice versa? One of the complexities, of course, though, is that we're talking here about industry, not necessarily the retail environment with, you know, cryptocurrencies and monetary units. So it's a little bit different between the two things. What we intend to see, though, is an opening up, I believe, across the globe. And it's not going to be just one regulatory body that people need to follow you're going to see a host of them. And like many things where new technology bursts on the scene, the regulation is playing catch up. We don't particularly see, uh, you know, massive hurdles to get through here. We, we think that the business community has a strong enough voice. People like Sebastian sitting on different, sitting in different communities, lobbying for the direction of the regulation. So I don't anticipate there being an, any gates that we can't get through. I think like almost anything, it's just going to be negotiation and making sure that the community at large benefits in the long run. In this case, the industry players and energy are able to often offer tokens and not be hampered by any regulation that would stifle you know, competition, growth, and scaling of these systems. But it's still sometimes, and we have to admit it, it's not easy to transfer the models. For example, the exact same energy uh, model that we deploy in Austria with the two tokens. We wanted to launch it or were discussing to launch it with a partner in a southern European country and just the legal framework there was not yet there. Uh, so yes, the uncertainties about regulation or the fact that it's not fully fixed, that there's not always a, a passporting of regulation is, let's say, not helping startups, but it's easy f easier for us, I would say, because we are provide enabling layers, we are infrastructure providers. So whatever the regulation is, we are helping our partners and clients to achieve, achieve regulatory compliance. 
if you're a service provider that just has a, a one model, then of course it it can become difficult if the regulation is showing in the wrong direction in the end. But that means for you, Mika, it's the big enabler to roll uh, your model out European wide at least. Not not a big enabler for us, but you know many of the big companies they couldn't fully design their final strategy because you know it was enough to do internal POCs and MVPs. But before you as a DAX 40 company or Dow Jones listed company can roll something out, you need, let's say, regulation being visible and on paper. Otherwise, e either your legal or your CFO department will say, we're not there yet. We have to wait. And, and so for us, it will be helpful. But because of this indirect effect that the big players can really start to move. I have a question for John. I mean, because both of us have been in the, have a history or legacy in the telecom industry. What, what do you think can be transferred from your knowledge from the telco industry to these kind of industrial applications? There is not a lot new going on when it comes to large industries like telco making change in, in their technological infrastructure, right? So, Certainly one thing that we bring is an understanding of having patience, right? It takes years for new technologies to work their way into production systems. So we're built to have patience and we'll bring that in all of our engagements. I wouldn't say it's necessarily unique to telco, but it's certainly uh, is similar in both energy and, and large scale mobility, right? So that's one key aspect really. It's just to have patience on the one hand But also, you know, being persistent that the benefits that come about from decentralization are proven now in, in many ways, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. So from, from my point of view, as technologists, we are going to be pushing as hard and fast as we can and hoping that everybody can keep up, right? So it's kind of a mix of those two things. But again, I don't think there's something specific from telco out of that, just an understanding of how enterprises uh, work. And the pace with which they make change. Yes, yeah, true. I would I would uh, confirm this. I mean, telco and energy industry are somehow similar. Telco has been a little bit ahead of the curve for a while, but I think now energy seems to be catching up. But agreed, the bigger the company, the more mature the industry, the longer it takes to bring in a new technology. Yes. But once it's in, you have you have large scale, right? So that's, uh, I yeah, think yeah that's absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and going to back to the point of we're doing it once and we want to do it a thousand times. That's what Riddle and Code is now focused on, by the way, guys, to start evolving the company for scale. So we provide infrastructure that's going to be harmonized that you can use across industries. So we're going to be building and introducing, you know, as soon as the next few quarters some tools, some standardized tools that different industries can use with which to onboard themselves to the Web3. I think the toolbox approach is right now like a very good window of opportunity because as, as Sebastian also mentioned earlier, um, regulation isn't quite there yet in many ways. But if you provide the infrastructure, that's not the biggest concern. So you are just adding more and more tools to the box for the service entities and the corporations on top that are then building services using your infrastructure layer. Maybe to go over to the next uh, set of questions, really, if you have guys had the opportunity to listen to our previous podcasts, we always like to finish things off um, looking a bit further into the future and going a bit uh, more broad. So we like to ask 
the golden question normally, which is um, yeah, exactly that. And uh, we're looking further into the future. Now, of course, today, since we have uh, two wonderful guests, uh, both of you, we're going to split it up and we're going to have two golden questions. So I'm going to kick things off and then Carmichael takes uh, over with the second golden question. And mine goes to Sebastian. So Sebastian, the sky's the limit. What do you think are the real limitations of asset tokenization? Does it make sense to tokenize everything? Is this desirable? Like, to what extent um, do you think can we utilize tokenization to really drive large-scale change and large-scale societal and technical advancement? What's kind of your utopia vision of tokenization? Yeah, it's interesting because um, today in Italy, we had a workshop with the European Commission about the future European blockchain services infrastructure. And uh, there was the same question in the room. Do we need to tokenize everything, all data? Is this making sense from from an energy consumption perspective? And and for sure it doesn't. Yeah. In the end, and that's why I'm as I'm fascinated by the whole industry as a political scientist. It is about ingraining the DNA of our liberal market-oriented societies into very efficient processes. We can't go on like we you know behaved as as industrial societies in the past 200 years. I think that's, in the meantime, clear to everybody. So we need uh, to use not only uh, a mindset or a shift of mindsets, but we need to apply technology in in the most sense-making way. And because blockchain has both an incentivization layer and also a control and transparency layer, we think it's the perfect backend and orchestration technology to do things. But then the next step afterwards will be, of course, to orchestrate blockchain, AI, and other, let's say, application layer technologies to come up with the best and efficient policies for for all of that. So to me personally, it's really about creating that toolbox that brings society to the highly needed next level. Okay, since we are talking about utopia, John, my golden question to you. What do you think is the biggest contribution blockchain and tokenization will make to the world within the next 10 years? This is easy for us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. You know, we, we have real conviction here and we have a vision of the future of interconnected token economies. You know, we are, we are really at the beginning, the very nascent stage of economies being tokenized. I don't necessarily think everything should be tokenized. I think there's some very valid things that do need to be though, especially when it comes to large-scale industry. And our vision includes the ability for resilient, sustainable, green technologies to be financed properly now and for citizens around the world to enjoy them. We have a confluence of the blockchain itself providing the decentralized technology, meeting a regulatory environment that's pushing for it, and yet a citizen's appetite to understand where their energy is coming from, how they're using it, and frankly, how can they contribute more? And that doesn't really exist today. You know, you turn your light switches on and off, you turn your car on and off. It's not often you actually think about the sources of energy, but we're seeing that change take place in real time. So 10 years from now, I imagine a robust set of ecosystems intertwined, interconnected, interoperating uh, for a variety of reasons around energy, from your home to your car, to your office, to the places you travel to and from. 
So that, that's what we see that we're starting now and over the next five, seven, ten years will be blossoming. Cool. I think that's a big vision and a fantastic kind of final statement for our podcast. John and Sebastian, thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing your in-depth knowledge about industrial tokenization and, and what really matters. I think it was super insightful, I think, for us and our listeners to learn about the Wien Energy project, but also to talk about the have a wider view on things from a regulatory angle and even ending up with uh, with a big vision here. Thanks a lot to both of you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Pleasure was on our side. I would also like to thank Simon for being a great co-host today again. A real pleasure as always. It was great to be here. Dear listeners, we hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned. Stay loyal to the Untitled Investment Talk the podcast about all things digital assets. All signal, no noise.